every week I think I'm going to like that video. And every week I just leave convinced that like the Zodiac's in the room with us, all right? <laughs> oh, man, it makes me so nervous. All right, I hope none of you are killers, but uh, if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and open with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, as we start, I want to just um, change the, the conversation of, or change the way we think about this uh, this morning a little bit before we start. I want to propose to you today that what we do over the next few minutes, let's just have a conversation together with each other, okay? Let's, uh, let's tone it down a little bit, all right? I know y'all are laughing at that. And let's try to explicitly hear what it is that God might have to say to us. And, and, and here's where I kind of bring this to your attention we need to hear what God has to say because I'm not so sure you should listen to anything I have to say, okay? Like this week, I erased and I wrote and I erased and I edited and I wrote so much so that the last time I edited this message was 12 minutes before the 8.30 service, all right? And I'm glad that that's amusing to you guys, but that is legitimately where I feel like I'm at with this message this morning because of how serious it is as we approach it. So I'm, I'm going to pray for us uh, even as we get started. And uh, I'm going to sit down because that makes it more conversational, right? I can't yell as much if I'm sitting down. Um, and we're going to have a conversation together. But I'm going to pray for us because here's what I know happens uh, in this kind of message. I'm so prone to, to get carried away or maybe even get in the way of what God wants to say. And I don't want to say anything that unnecessarily distracts you or entertains you out of hearing what God has to say to you this morning. Okay? So pray with me, and then we're going to, we're going to dive into the Word. Dear God, Lord, I, I just take a few moments to pray over this room, God. Lord, pray over the people in the seats that over the next few minutes you would help us to hear from you. Dear God, not that they would be able to hear from me, but that they would be able to hear from you. And that we would be able to, to understand what it is you're asking of us, dear God, and then to adjust our lives and to adjust our, our, our spirits accordingly to walk in line with you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The reason why it's so important to do a series like this, uh, if you come, you know we don't normally... Uh, do a topical series to this degree where everything is, is driven straight off of a, a, a lie. We, normally we walk through books of the Bible and that's our, our preferred method. But we each week have been addressing specific lies that have infiltrated the church. And the reason why it's important to do a series like this, if we're not careful, we can believe the lies of the world to such an extent that we're encouraged to replace, our to replace Jesus with ourselves as the center of our life. That's what each one of these lies that we've looked at has done. That's what this one that we're going to look at again today does. It tempts us to take Jesus from where he rightfully belongs, the throne of our lives, the center of our lives, and then to, for, it tempts us to put ourselves there. Each lie that we've looked at does this. It, it encourages us to accept another gospel instead of Jesus. Now, the lie that we're going to look at today is no different. The lie that we're going to look at today is this. The lie, the lie that, uh, uh, that permeates the church that, that I found all over that replaces Jesus is this. All good people go to heaven. 
all good people go to heaven. Now, the truth is up there as well, and we'll get to the truth in just a second. But I want you to, to hear the lie first. The lie is that all good people go to heaven. This is a lie that I am 100% convinced has permeated the church, especially in the West, to an extent that it's hard for us to ever uh, see through it, right? Our, our, our beliefs and our actions betray our words, even if we would never say this out loud, even if we would never say all good people go to heaven, our beliefs and our actions betray us. Let me tell you how I know that this is a foundational lie that the church has believed. I've been going to church nine months before I was born, okay? I, I've been in church uh, almost 28 years and nine months, okay? And in that time, I've gone to countless funerals, right? I, I would dare say that I've been in the hundreds of multiples of funerals, all right? I, I've been to them over the past uh, few years. I've had my opportunity to do my fair share of them. And at every funeral I've ever been to, I have never preached a funeral where someone went to hell. That's just the truth. Everybody, no matter how rotten, no matter how cruel, no matter how down low, when we die, we, we, well, we find that little bit of good that was in their heart that we found from the Disney movies, right? And we, we impute it and say, well, that's a good person. They went to heaven. I'm thinking of one example. I won't say any names because I don't want to offend anybody who may watch this back home. But when I grew up, there was a guy, a, a, a man in my hometown who had a reputation around the hometown. He's very well known, but he was the meanest old cuss I ever did know. He was mean, and he could just be cruel and harsh, had a vulgar mouth. And then when this guy died, he all of a sudden was in heaven. Well, I know he's sitting at the feet of Jesus today. And I'm just like, guys, are we talking about the same person? Because y'all are saying he's at the feet of Jesus, and I'm like, he's lucky if he got close to the gate, all right? But we, and we see this, right? And listen, a lot of it's our own selfishness that we don't want to ever imagine someone is going to hell. Can I tell you, like, it's, it's hard. I've had family members, right, close to me die. And the conversation always direct, directly or indirectly turns to this belief where we believe that the ounce of goodness in them sends them right to the feet of Jesus when they die. And at the root of this lie, listen, that's just the surface level, if I can be honest. At the root of the lie lies something that I call nominal Christianity. Or a better term would probably be cultural Christianity. What is cultural Christianity? Cultural Christianity is an association with Christ because of the benefits that he offers us. So it, it, looks, as, it looks at Jesus and this whole Christian perspective as just a sprinkling on top of your life that adds a little bit of spice, adds a little bit of accessory, adds a little bit of benefit to the life that you already have been living. It prides itself on two things. Nominal Christianity prides itself on correct belief and correct behavior. As if the only thing you need to make it into heaven when you die is that you have believed certain things and every now and then you did certain things and that made you a Christian. Now, this conversation around cultural Christianity matters to me a great deal. It matters to me a great deal for two reasons. 
The first reason, and, and I don't think this is a surprise to anybody who comes here on, on a weekly basis that I would say this is an important conversation to me, but it matters to me for two reasons. The first reason that this conversation matters so deeply to me is can you imagine a worse scenario than being someone who lives a Christian lifestyle in your estimation. You go to church. You read your Bible. You believe what Christians believe. You serve on Sundays. You've been on the worship team. You serve on host team. You serve in kids. You've been tithing since you were 18. Can you imagine a worse scenario than living a Christian life and being convinced that you are going to one day die and go to heaven only to stand before Jesus and not hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, but hear, depart from me, I never knew you. I cannot imagine a more tragic scenario. This is the, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. I, I sleep like a baby. I, people talk about, oh, I have trouble sleeping. I have zero trouble sleeping. I lay my head down on the pillow at night and I sleep unless I think about stuff like this. That we could stand before God fully expecting the gates to swing open and the gates remain closed and we never knew Him. That's one reason why I, this conversation matters to me. The second reason this conversation matters to me is if I could just be so honest with you, I hate cultural Christianity. I do, I do not care if we run this thing in the ground from a worldly perspective and have 50 people here who love Jesus and want to reach the upstate for Jesus, but every one of them is serious, then if every person in this room leaves because they think we think, take Jesus too seriously. I hate cultural Christianity. Can I just be honest? I don't understand it. I do not understand it. I grew up, I, and I grew. I think a lot of this has to do with some of the way that I grew up, but I grew up where Jesus was this accessory or attachment to your life, and you just had a little bit of Jesus so that you could be sure that when you die, a preacher could get up and say, hey, we think he's in heaven. And listen, there are probably a lot of people there who I thought would have never made it, right? I don't understand grace fully. But I abhor that idea. As a matter of fact, I hate it so much that around about five and a half years ago now, I can remember where I was at. I can remember the time that I, as, I was, as me and Jenna were just starting in this thing called ministry, I had someone uh, encourage me to uh, identify what my aim was in, in ministry. Like they, they wanted me not to go in and be aimless, to have, to have a measure of what I was aiming for. And so it, when, at that time, here's what I wrote down, that my aim was in Christianity. Now, I think it, it, it's changed a little bit since then, but five and a half years ago when, when Dallas was starting to understand that he was being called to ministry, here's what that young, naive, know-nothing pastor wrote, okay? Here's what I wrote. My aim, as far as I can make possible, is to kill nominal Christianity as much as possible in the world around me. Here's what I understood. That and can we be honest? We're not all that, all right. Like we're, we're, I love our church, right? But in the grand scheme of things, we're one small dot, dot in the the global church. Okay, we're 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 significant in God's eyes, but we're not the end all be all. Okay, y'all good with me saying that? Are y'all offended? All right. And so here's what I what I understand that I have a very small sphere of influence, and that you may leave today and never come back again. 
But as long as this sphere of influence is mine, I am going to make it almost impossible for you to come here and see Jesus as a little attachment that you can add on to your life and just keep on going. So I hate this. I hate it. Now, let, before I move on any, let me just say this. Have I prayed? Okay. Because I don't want to say, I'm telling you, I don't want to distract us today. I don't want to say anything that is going to distract us. Because listen, I know what, what we're about to get into in Matthew 7 is hard. And I don't enjoy, if I can just be so honest with you, I don't enjoy being the pastor, right? That when you leave, you leave thinking, you come in thinking, I'm going to get this just great encouragement. I'm going to leave floating on cloud nine. And you walk out thinking, oh, that was kind of tough, pastor. I don't enjoy beating you up, right? And I know, and I know the jokes. I know the, my reputation. On, on Easter, Danny walked out and told somebody, you better be ready. He's sweating and spitting today. And I was like... <laughs> Thanks, Danny, I think, right? <laughs> but I say that, just, like, guys, my goal in the next few minutes is not to beat us up. But my goal is to take seriously what Scripture says. Such that, listen, I would rather you leave today and be slightly offended with me and hear one day Jesus say, Well done, my good and faithful servant than you to leave here today and be entertained because boy Dallas can preach and one day here, depart from me, I never knew you. So I, 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 I want to I tone it down a little bit. I'm going to sit back down in just a second. I want to tone it down in the effort that we could take this stuff seriously. So it, which leads us to the truth. Not all good people go to heaven. Only people who have a relationship with Jesus go to heaven. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going, a, the, the term relationship is not, inten, is not definite enough for you to know what I mean by that. Okay? I just said, well, you need to have a relationship to, with Jesus to go to heaven. And everybody in here was like, thanks, Dallas. I've never heard that before, okay? So what we need to do today is to offer some definition to that term, okay? And I'm going to give you three words that I want you to take with you that we're going to come back to at the very end. A relationship with Jesus can be defined, it can be summed up in three words, okay? Trust, and I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. Trust, love, and submission. Without any of these three things, there is no relationship with Jesus. With these three things, there is a relationship with Jesus such that we can say with confidence, I am a real Christian, which brings me to the point before I read the Scripture. Our goal today is to answer this question. Am I a real Christian? Am I a real Christian? That's what we're going to ask ourselves today. Okay? Matthew 7. Look with me at what the Scripture says. Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount, and as He closes the Sermon on the Mount, He begins to define for us how we can make it into the kingdom of heaven. So He begins to say stuff like this. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the road and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and, the, and those who enter by it are many. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Right? What's he saying? Hey, this isn't an easy path. You want to get to heaven, you're not going to be on an easy path. Then he says something about a tree and its fruit, and he says every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
So he's telling us how we enter into the kingdom of heaven, but I think there's a temptation in the believer's mind at this point to begin to equate getting into heaven with doing instead of knowing. And Jesus wants to revert us out of that, wants to throw us in reverse to say this isn't all about doing. You don't do to get into heaven. You know to get into heaven. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here's what's before us, okay? In this text, when we begin to think about what does it mean to be a real Christian, we're presented with foundational truths, that these are the truths that, that await us, that if we want to make it to heaven, we have to do business with these truths, okay? I want, to look, want us to look at them. One by one. Here's the first truth. The first truth is that everyone spends eternity somewhere. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. Now, Jesus here, even if he's doing so uh, unintentionally or as, as the only focus of the text, Jesus is introducing to us the idea of judgment and eternity and heaven and hell. He says, on that day. Now, what day is he talking about today? Obviously, he's talking about the day of judgment. Now, here's what's really important for us to understand this. Every single person who has ever been born or will ever be born will one day stand before God in judgment. That this is a reality of your life that you will not escape. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man to die once, and then comes judgment. So what Jesus is laying before us the reality of judgment. He's not only laying before us the reality of judgment, he's laying before us the reality of eternity. That after you are judged, you will enter into a destination for eternity, and of those days, there will be no end. Such that it does not matter whether you have the longest, richest, most blessed life here, that life, all of those years, will be but one drop of sand in a beach full of sand. Eternity is never-ending, and there are two places we can go for eternity. He says that some will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you can either make it into the kingdom of heaven, or you can be cast out into a place in which Jesus later calls the outer darkness. So there's heaven, and there's hell, and we are told that it goes on for eternity. Now, what I find to be problematic in most of our lives is that because of the nature of life, we are lulled to sleep by the humdrum lullaby of life in which we are tempted to begin to believe that eternity is not that long and our time on earth is not in fact that short and the lullaby begins to sing and sing and sing and to the point where we forget that this is a common reality for each and every one of us let me let me explain to you what i mean that it's a lullaby you know how, how do lullabies work lullabies are rhythmic and they give you a tune and the tune the hope of the tune is that through enough of it, you'll just drift off to sleep. Right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? I, I, I'm singing them right now. And this, is, uh, uh, this is not a lullaby, but at my, both of my little girls, I've, seen, I've sang Fools Rush In, right? Everybody know Elvis? And I memorized the whole song so I could sing it to them. Wise men say, right? And you're like, that puts them to sleep? It does. It's great. And what's it do? <laughs> it draws them in and it puts them to sleep. And you know what life does? Alarm clock goes off, you hit snooze, you're running late. 
got to cook breakfast for the kids, got to get the kids to school, got to get to work. Got to make sure the invoices get out on time. Oh, I'm running behind on this project. Oh, I got a scheduled meeting with my supervisor. Oh, it's time for car line. Oh, I made it to car line. It's time for softball. Oh, it's 7.30 at night. I got to cook dinner. Oh, bath times are over. It's time for bed. And all of a sudden, the alarm clock goes off again the next day. And you know what happens? We're lulled into this reality where we believe because of the way it works that we've got all the time in the world, that life is not that short, and that we don't need to worry about eternity because it's a long way off and it can't be as long as this life is. And I'm telling you, listen to me, it's a lie. That there is a day coming for each and every one of us where we will stand before God in judgment. And let me just say this to you. Could anything be more urgent? Like what is possibly more important than having confidence that when you stand before God, you know the words that are going to come out of His mouth. Listen, I love my kids. They're not as important as this moment for me. I love my job. Man, I can't, I can't believe I get to do this. It's not as important as this moment for me. I love everything this world offers, but we've got to wake up because this is the most important decision you will ever make, and this is the most important reality that's coming for any of us we got to wake up. This should produce a sense of urgency in us. So that's the first thing I want to see. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere. Jesus is introducing us to this idea. Now, the second thing that we need to see that Jesus begins to introduce us to here is this reality that good works have no bearing on our eternity. Now, this is, this is a little complex, but bear with me. All right, Here's the second truth I want you to see. Good works without relationship with Jesus are useless. Good works without relationship with Jesus are useless. Notice what, let me, let, me put, let me just clarify something. Who is this message for today? Okay? I love you, but listen to me very clearly. If you've been uh, out there in the, in the world, so to speak, and you've been drinking, drugging, partying, have the time of your life, listen, I'm really glad you came today. This message just isn't for you. Come back next week, okay? Like, Seriously, I love you. Like, this is not, I don't mean that to be a joke. This message is for those people who you look at and call them hypocrites, Christians, all right? So this is who that, this message is for people in the room. You, you tracking with me? Because who is Jesus talking with here? Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about people who obviously consider themselves Christians. And what Jesus wants to clarify is that good works have no bearing, have no influence on whether or not you make it into heaven or not. Let, let's clarify it by looking at the scripture. I want you to notice two things about these people who, who are interacting with Jesus here. I want you to notice what they call Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now, this is an interesting uh, uh, turn of phrase here because it's a double repetition of the word Lord. Lord, it's like a, 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 a superlative use, right? It's a repetitive use to draw emphasis upon. We see this in Scripture all the time. Anytime there's a repetition, uh, what the author means to do is draw emphasis upon the relationship with something. So th think with me about Isaiah chapter 6. Everybody remember? In Isaiah 6, when Jesus is sitting on the throne and Isaiah comes into the throne room of God and he sees Jesus and the angels are saying what? 
The angels say, holy, 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 right? It's a threefold repetition. That's the same idea that Jesus has in mind here when he's looking to these people and he said that these people say to him, Lord, Lord. The emphasis is on the idea that these people know exactly who Jesus is. In these people's mind, they have a relationship with Jesus. At the very least, they have some form of connection where they understand who he is. They don't call him teacher, right? What did the disciples start out calling Jesus? Rabbi, teacher. They don't just call him by his name. No, they use a double emphasis, Lord, in other words, to say, we know who you are. We're not, we're not under the impression that you're anybody else, but you are the Lord. So here's what I wanted to point out. Calling Jesus Lord isn't bad. Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart in Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Let me just make it clear. You're not getting into heaven unless you're willing to call Jesus Lord. But lip service is not good enough to save you. By the sheer fact that you come to this place on a weekly basis and are willing to say Jesus is Lord does not guarantee you anything for eternity. Okay? But these people go farther than lip service. These people go a step further and here's what they say. Did we not cast, dry, prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Now let's just admire this list for just a second, can we? Prophesy in your name. Let, uh, just the most basic understanding of that, here's what we understand. That they, they must have had, at this time, in you, spiritual gifts, whether you think they continue or not, they must have had the spiritual gift of prophecy in order to speak about the future in someone's life. Isn't that crazy? Let me tell you something. You ever had such a good week that you were just hearing from Jesus and Jesus was like, hey, go tell that person about what's about to happen in their life. These people did. It says, we prophesied in Jesus' name. We cast out demons in your name. Now listen, I'm sure you've had a good week before. And in that week, you've had like quiet times every day of the week. Like you just felt connected to the Lord. You were patient with your spouse. Like you, you and your wife were in an argument and you just took the low road and you were like, babe, I'm so sorry, you're right. And you read the Bible to your kids and the kids were like, teach me the word of God, Father. And you were like, I would be glad to, right? I'm sure you've had good weeks, okay? I'm not saying that. But have you ever driven out a demon? I hadn't. As a matter of fact, I'm the pastor, and people start talking about demons. I'm like, don't invite that stuff on yourself, right? <laughs> These people had. They had done many mighty works in Jesus' name. And this combination here presents to us a person who we would look at and say, man, that's what a Christian is. I have meetings on Mondays and Thursdays every week. These are the kind of people that I would be like, hey, y'all ain't going to believe about this person. Man, they are just killing it in the wall with the Lord. But what's Jesus say? Depart from me. They looked like they were Christians, but they weren't. Now here's what this scripture is telling us. There's a way to look authentically Christian to the world and never authentically know Jesus. There's a way to look authentically Christian to the world and never authentically know Christ. Now, if I were to stop right here, listen to me, it would be a very depressing message, would it not? Because at this point, all I've told you is that you can look like an authentic Christian and not be an authentic Christian. We haven't at this point identified why these people weren't real Christians. So we need, if we're going to ask ourselves, are we real Christians? What we've got to be able to do is identify why these people were not real Christians. 
Okay? Everybody tracking with me? Let's identify it, okay? I want you to see a couple things. The first thing I want you to see is the language that they use. They say to Jesus, didn't we? Didn't we? Now, here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity is a religion that believes at its core that didn't you doesn't matter. Okay? That it, it does not matter one thing that you've done. You know what Christianity is concerned with? What Jesus has done. So understand what these people have done. Their, their emphasis on the didn't we shows a heart that makes it the, the religion not about Jesus, but themselves. In other words, life's about them. They're in a car going down the road. They're in the driver's seat. They say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And they're going, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we, when Christians, people who are real Christians, they don't have anything about didn't we to say. They say, didn't you, Jesus? Jesus, didn't you leave heaven and come to earth? Jesus, didn't you embrace poverty and become born in a manger to two teenage Jews in, in, in Galilee? Jesus, didn't you? Jesus, didn't you live a sinless life? Jesus, didn't you die a sinner's death? Jesus, didn't you rise on the third day and defeat hell, death, and the grave for me? I don't care about one thing I've done, Jesus, didn't you? You see, what we see about Christianity, listen, is that the sole requirement to start a relationship with Jesus is faith in Jesus. Okay, we're going to revisit that in just a second. That's the first thing that I want you to see. The second thing we need to see here is that Jesus says to them, I never knew you. The reason why I think this is such an important phrase to see is that we need to understand how this relationship works because they seem to have some kind of association with Jesus, but Jesus doesn't know them. They know Jesus. Jesus doesn't know them. Here's what we begin to see, that they had an association with Jesus that was defined by their terms, not Jesus's. Now, here's what I want to be clear about. You don't get to set the terms with Jesus. If you were to be invited by the president right now to the White House, you would not be able to say, well, here are my demands. Why? Because he's in a better position than you. The king of all the world does not allow you to negotiate. So what we find when these people is he says, I never knew you. Evidently, what happened with them was that they were living life going down the road and they were in the driver's seat. And when they came across Jesus, they looked to him and said, this would be a great attachment. Let me add him to the passenger seat. Uh, he's a great accessory for the Christian life. Let me keep on going. See, it's a relationship, it's an association on their terms so that they can look at Jesus and say, I, I know you. And Jesus is looking back saying, I don't know who you are. And then the last thing I want you to see is this. He calls them workers of lawlessness. Now, this is a bold statement by Jesus here because look at what these people have done. What we think is that Jesus, I don't know if you see what they said they've done, but they don't seem to be like lawbreakers. And this term, workers of lawlessness, in the original language, what it means is to be someone who goes on in disobedience. So now we're beginning to see a good picture of the kind of life these people lived. They were going down the road in the car. They saw Jesus, thought he'd be a good attachment, and they keep on going, and they never once stop to repent of being in the driver's seat. They say, I'm just going to keep doing things my way. And then what happens is, is they begin to attach all the good works to their relation, to their, to their life, because what they think is that these good works are what's going to get me there. 
So they're going down the road, and then it becomes a competition. Well, I'm going to continue on in disobedience, but as long as I add enough good into everything else I'm doing, I'll make it when I get there. And here's what I want you to see. Do all the good you want. Pay all the lip service you want. When you get there, you don't get to negotiate the terms. Good works are useless without a relationship with Jesus. Here's the last thing I want you to see. People who have a relationship with Jesus go to heaven. This is the bottom line truth. People who have a relationship with Jesus go to heaven. This phrase here where Jesus uses the term, I never knew you, it, it communicates more than one thing. It, if Greek has this, it's the Greek version of a double entendre. All right? Does anybody know what that means? Some of you are all like, he's pretty smart. I feel smart because I use double entendre in a sermon. All right? Google it, all right? But it, 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 it's a phrase that can communicate two things at one time, all right? And that's really what this phrase is in the Greek. Maybe it's communicating just more than one thing, but what it, the, the term, I never knew you, doesn't communicate just, I never knew you. It's more like saying, where do you even come from? Think about it like this with me. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody who you were just getting to meet, and you realize, man, we know a lot of the same, and you say, where are you from? And they say, well, I'm from Lawrence, South Carolina, right? Anybody from Lawrence, shout out, all right? And you, you say, well, I'm from Lawrence, South Carolina. And all of a sudden, you realize you're from the same hometown. And you say, well, do you know X? And well, yeah, I know X. I, I took him for high school history. And then all of a sudden, all of these connections that you didn't think you had with another person begin to be formed. Has, everybody, has that ever happened to anybody? Right, it, it happens. But what happens is, is you begin to form a connection based on you asking a question, where do you even come from? That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus isn't just saying, I don't know you. He's saying, where do you come from? We don't have any connection. There is nothing that connects you and me. You see, the only way to get to heaven is to have a connection with Jesus Christ. The only way to get to heaven is that you know Jesus Christ. So here's what we have to do today. Something completely different than than I've ever done before as the pastor here, but I think it, it's worth doing. We have to ask ourselves, do I know Jesus? And does Jesus know me? And to do that, this text gives us three tests. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to ask us the questions that these, this text asks us, and I'm going to do something that's going to be really uncomfortable. I'm going to let you sit in it. I'm going to make you think about it. I'm going to encourage you, listen, for the first time that may be in your life, don't let a distraction take you away from this question. Don't let the pool of children, don't let the distraction of social media, don't let what you've got to do after it, don't let it distract you from answering these questions because what else could be more important? Three tests that I want to put before us that I think this text text gives us I'll ask the question let it sit and then I'll come back and clarify it a little bit first test is this am I a real Christian am I a real Christian here's the first test number one do I trust Jesus as my only hope for eternity this is the first test do I trust Jesus as my only hope for eternity I'm going to let you think about it for a second.
do I trust Jesus as my only hope for eternity? Think about this with me. What is trust? Trust is, I'm going to pull this out so everybody can see it. Trust is when all of my hope, when all of my confidence is in something. So when I say do you trust Jesus, what I'm asking you is that when you stand before Jesus, when you stand before God, and He says to you, why on earth would I ever let you in? That your answer reflects not anything you've done. Didn't we? Didn't we? But that your answer reflects, and it starts where it ends, didn't He? And so here's what it means to trust. That my only hope is firmly and foundationally on something. You know when I trust this stool? When I sit down and say, there, nothing else is holding me up. If it breaks, I'm going to embarrass myself in front of everybody in here right now, but I trust it. Do you trust Jesus that way? That all of my hope, all of my life, all of my confidence, I'm putting in one person. And if He lets me down, He lets me down, and I'm embarrassed and everything is gone. It was all worthless, but I'm putting my hope there. There are no other chips that I'm leaving on the table. There's nothing else that I'm doing. I'm going all in on that guy. Do you trust him? Now, here's what I want you to see. You cannot possibly be a nominal Christian if you trust Jesus that way. He ain't just a side effect then. He's everything. Do you trust him? That's test number one. Here's test number two, okay? Test number two is have you submitted to Jesus as king? Do you trust Jesus as your only hope for eternity? Test number two, do you, have you submitted to Jesus as king? I love this phrase here. Because Jesus says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he's the one that makes it into the kingdom of heaven. And here's what I think is really funny about that. We would have thought that these people were doing the will of the Father, right? But evidently, they never stopped to ask, Jesus, what do you want us to do? They just did a bunch of good stuff and tacked it on instead of ever saying, Jesus, I've been in the driver's seat the whole time. Maybe I need to get out of the driver's seat. I'll just get in the back. You take me where you want to go. And guys, I want to tell you, that kind of life looks drastically different. Because when you're in the back seat, guess what control you have? You're just, you're just like, Jesus, I, I really wanted to go there. Guess what? You're not going there. Jesus, I really thought we should wind up here. You don't wind up there. You don't know why? Because you're not in control. And this kind of life's hard because, listen, Jesus is going to be driving and he's going to say, hey, you should confess sin here. He's going to be driving and he's going to say, hey, you should repent of sin here. He's going to be driving and say, hey, you should leave this job here and take that job there. And he's going to lead you in places that you never thought you would go. But guess what? You don't get to control it because he's in the driver's seat. Have you submitted to him as king? And I know that can sound abstract, but I want to ask you, you know who's in charge of your life. Are you in charge of your life or is Jesus in charge of your life? Have you trusted him as your only hope? Have you submitted your life to him? And the final question is this, do you love Jesus as Savior? Do you love Jesus as Savior? The, the, the key emphasis here is connection. Jesus says, I never knew you. We, we talked about how that means he's saying to us, I never had a connection with you. As you read the New Testament, one of the main 
one of the main descriptions of a Christian is someone who is in union with Christ, has a connection with Christ. And here's just what I want to point out to you. There can be no connection where there is no love. Now, I know this is kind of hard for us to understand, especially some of us guys. We start talking about loving Jesus, and what does that mean? It feels kind of weird. Here's what it means. That you have affection in your heart for what Jesus has done for you and who Jesus is. Such that when you wake up in the morning, you want to live for Jesus because you think Jesus is awesome. That's as simple as I can put it. The best illustration I have for you is this. I have a union with my wife. Do you know why I've never been unfaithful to my wife? Because I think she's awesome. You might be thinking because you're scared to death of her. That would also be true. (laughs) But here's the deal. Ladies, there's just no one else that can compete. I, I think she's awesome, so I, I love her. That's a union. Is there any affection in your life for Jesus? Because if not, listen, I love you, but you're not a Christian. Those are the three tests. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something super weird. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, and I'm going to sit up here on stage for maybe a couple of minutes. And I'll give us a few minutes to think about this. So every head bowed, every eye closed, here's what I want you to do. I want you to examine your own heart. Do I have a connection with Jesus? Do I love him? Have I submitted to him? Do I trust him? And I want you, don't don't think about what you should do yet if the answer is no. Just come to an answer, yes or no, all right? Take a minute and think about it. Do I love him? Have I submitted to him? Do I trust him? For some of us, the answer to that question is yes. It, it may not even be crystal clear. We, we may know, man, this, following Jesus is hard, and sometimes it's easier than others to submit to him, and sometimes I just get caught up in life, and I don't love him as good as I should. But yes, I do love him, I do trust him, and I have submitted to him. For some of us, the answer is yes. Amen. Let me encourage you that if the answer is yes, you are a real Christian and we can leave here with full confidence that on the day that we stand before God, he's going to look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because of what he's done and who he is. But for others of us, listen, the answer to that question is no. I know who Jesus is, but I've never, I've never really loved him. I know who Jesus is, but I've never really submitted my life to him. I know who Jesus is, but I've never really trusted him as my only hope in life. And if the answer is no, I don't want you to leave here without hope. I want you to be able to call out to him in faith. And here's what that looks like. Man, this isn't rocket science. You know what it looks like? Jesus, I want to submit my life to you. Jesus, I want to love you. And Jesus, I want to trust you. Will you help me and will you take me? And here's his answer. Yes. If that's you today, I'd love to talk to you about that today. I'm going to pray for us. And listen, I'd love to take, y'all, I'd love to take this pressure off of you and end on a happy note, but I think I'd be doing you a disservice. So let's leave here today asking ourselves this question.
I'm going to pray for us. If you need to discuss this afterward, I would love to talk with you about it. You can come and find me. You can send me an email. You can fill out a car and I'll follow up with you, but I'd love to talk with you about this. Pray with me and then you'll be dismissed. God, I would be lying if I said I enjoyed today in the slightest, God. Dear God, truthfully, I, I, I haven't enjoyed any part of it. I hadn't enjoyed preparing for it. I hadn't enjoyed delivering it. Dear God, but I, I, this is just too serious for us to get wrong. God, and I, I, I understand if people will leave here today and think, dear God, that I'm crazy, that I think that I take this stuff too seriously. Dear God, but I, I, I'm not going to risk an eternity. So God, if there's one person in this room who answered that question, no, I pray that you would work on their hearts to do business with you and to love you and to serve you. And if there's people in this room, and I know there are who answer that question, yes, I pray that you would move in their hearts to rejoice and be glad that we'll stand before you one day and we'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You are dismissed, church.